Fred Vasseur, congratulations, the new Ferrari SF24 is a very handsome car. Uh, yes, but of course, it, it looks pretty, but uh, let's see how it goes. Are there any significant innovations on the car that you can tell us about? Well, our car does have one unique quality in Formula One. What's that? It is red. And all the other cars are almost completely black. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, he's Zog. Hello. I said that with enormous urgency because we've had to wait over a week to talk about one of the most significant things that's happened in Formula One in the last, what, five years, ten years? I talked about Lewis Hamilton signing for Ferrari! The irony of this is that just shortly before this news broke, I'd had a couple of conversations with people which were sort of along the lines of, oh, what does this year's F1 season look like? Oh, well, it's basically same as last year. Nothing's changed. All the drivers are the same. No new teams. Andretti, there's another story we haven't really uh, talked about, but great shame, I think. Yeah, yeah, It's all the same as last year, you know. So if you missed anything last year, just watch this year. It'll be the same. And then all of a sudden it's uh, thrown up into the air. Yeah, as you say, one of the biggest stories for a long time, Hamilton moving to Ferrari. Wow. Uh, I'm excited. Do I you think this remember is, this is where you were when you <laughs> heard the news? It's like a Kennedy moment, isn't it? I remember discussing it with you on WhatsApp before it happened because we had an inkling that it was going to happen. There was sort of undercurrents in the world you know we were hearing about it eddies in the time stream as they say in hitchhiker's guide there was an indication that this could happen i remember seeing the thing on twitter by um i've forgotten his name um a chap who i trust in in formula one a broadcaster like ourselves and he said i've just heard the most incredible thing if it is true it's massive it'll break on friday Hmm. and i thought what is he talking about here then i got this sense that Lewis could be going to Ferrari. I'm thinking, no, it's not going to happen. And if it does happen, he's going to take a year out before it does happen. That's his get-out clause. How did you receive the news? Do you remember where you were? Um, actually, uh, I, I was <laughs> I was in bed, actually. Uh, and no, I, 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 saw, I saw the news <laughs> on, uh, uh, on social media. And th- there have been rumours. There have been, as you say, whispers uh, about this... You know, for a while, but there have been whispers and rumours of all kinds of things, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I was genuinely surprised. I absolutely hadn't picked up on anything, you know, that to me was a strong indicator that this was likely, except that there's always that idea that if there's one big name in the sport, it's Ferrari. And, you know, it's a it's a cliche that everyone wants to drive for Ferrari at some point. But it's, it's a true one. Uh, well, th- 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 there's a lot of truth in it. And, and for... Lewis Hamilton at this point, you know, if he thinks that the prospect of Mercedes giving him a competitive car in the next couple of years isn't that great, yet why not take a punt on Ferrari, take a load of that? Well, the money, I think, is neither here nor there. He's going to get well paid by whoever he's with. But going to Ferrari is kind of a win-win. If he's able to mount even a decent title bid, let alone win it, that's still a 
great late career feather in his cap. And if he doesn't look so strong, well, you know, if he's racing at Ferrari against a very strong teammate in Leclerc, I don't imagine he'll you know be doing anything other than giving his best performances, which fans are going to love. So I think mm-hmm. in a way, I suppose I'm saying that he can get away with slightly less good results at Ferrari than he might at Mercedes. Does that make sense? I don't know. I think I understand what you're saying. No, I, I do understand what you're saying. Uh, if Lewis continued at Mercedes, kind of all things being equal, if unaffected by any other force, then Mercedes, we were discussing this, are one of the two teams who could challenge Red Bull for the championship. I don't know if they'll win it, but they'll challenge it. You know, He will either maintain his performance or fall off at Mercedes by the metric of him having won so many times in the past. Anything less than that is a lose. Equal that performance, and you have raised that other team, and therefore you've raised the perception of your own performance. In summary, better to do average at Ferrari than to do average at Mercedes. And on another note, if you given that he's in this unusual position now of having to race this year mm-hmm. for a team that he's leaving, yeah. what yeah, I mean, what do you think about the prospects for yeah, how do you think that's gonna work out for Mercedes and for Lewis, how's that relationship? Good point. Works both ways. That's the point. It, uh, my first thought was for Lewis, and I'm just reminded of something Damon Hill has said often, you're fine for the first part of the season, but after Silverstone, you are locked out of any real developments. I mean, absolutely, Mercedes will do everything that they need to do in terms of sharing data and give Lewis and George a car that could win the championship. But later in the season, as they start to make decisions based on how this car's worked on next year's car, he's going to get frozen out. So it's imperative for Lewis that he gets a lead on George in the first four races. He's got to dominate George in the first four races so that Mercedes ultimately, when it comes down to the crunch, which are the two drivers they will back, they will back the driver who's going to win them the world championship. They will back Lewis again. Of course, yeah. I love the excitement of the idea that Lewis, it's not out of the realms of possibility that he could win his eighth world championship at Mercedes this year if they have finally got across that car. You know, George is going to make it hard for him. And is that car going to be as wow. good as the base Red Bull? That that, that would be... I mean, the, the, that Imagine. would be something. Mm. Where, yeah, yeah um, I'd want pretty long odds on that, I think, to, to have a punt on it. I think uh, mm. that's quite an ask. It, it would be a hell of a story, though, if, mm. yeah, having announced... He's deciding to leave. He can then win with Mercedes. Hey, and then why not win with Mercedes this year? Win again with Ferrari next year. Why not? Yeah, that really would be some kind of crazy fairy story. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of trust and goodwill on both sides. You know, although, of course, him leaving is bound to make things at least a little bit difficult. But I think the team knows Lewis very well Mm. and, you know, understands that, uh, you know, things do change but they know him and they they trust him and he knows them and trusts them and so i think yeah that it'll be it'll be a perfectly good relationship 
yeah, as you say, maybe can't be as complete throughout the year as it might be in a normal year. But there's no reason that they shouldn't give him the best car they can and that he won't uh, be able to get the best out of it. I said it works two ways. I was thinking about Lewis. You're talking about the team as well. I think this will actually benefit Mercedes. I think there is an added psychological undercurrent now. Oh, gosh, we've really got to got to win with Lewis this year. You know, we, 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 you know, we've got to up our game, you know. And that could be a driving force that raises the level of the performance of not just the drivers, but the whole team. Just that little 5% or something, you know, they, they will work even harder than they do. Maybe. Um, Sounds like maybe, a no. I, don't know. I mean, I, I think, well, I, I, I think my thought is that what it will force them to do is, and I'm sure they've given this plenty of thought already, but this really forces the issue. Who's next after Lewis Hamilton? Mm. They've got to replace him. And ideally you want to replace him with somebody who's going to be a longer term prospect, not somebody who's going to just fill the seat for a year or two until the next big thing comes along. So who would you put in that seat? Wow. In a way, the, the, the easy answer is just do a straight swap with Carlos Sainz. Yeah, yeah. Who's a really strong driver. Yeah. He's going to be free. Yeah. Get him for a bargain. Uh, he's, he's going to be motivated to beat Ferrari. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. you could do a lot worse yeah, than that. Yeah, true. Andrea Kimi Antonelli is on the Mercedes books. He's been in F4 and did very well racing with Bremer. Uh, but he's nowhere near ready to be the person alongside George. So for me, the most sensible thing would be bearing in mind, you know, you've got to think, you've got to have a three-year plan, a two-year plan, a five-year plan if you're a team manager. I would release a seat at Williams, making a space for Antonelli to learn his craft there. And that person that you free up from Williams, you put in alongside George. I'm talking about Alex Albon. Now, what happens to Carlos Sainz in the meantime? Does he want to go to Williams? He could go and replace Lance Stroll or Alonso at Aston Martin. It's such a game of cards, isn't it? You know, one move will trigger a whole bunch of others. It'll always be the most important one that triggers all the others. Yeah, I think Sainz at Aston Martin, I could see that working, yeah. And the Williams thing, sure. Albon would be an interesting pick to replace Hamilton, because I think he's young enough that he could have you know a bit more of a future there. He's not wouldn't necessarily be a stopgap, and he has really improved since his first outing in Formula oh, One. Yeah. You know just how good he is. It's a little hard to say. I mean, he's not on the level of Hamilton and Verstappen, but he's a lot closer than he was. No, I'd, I'd 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 like to see Alex Albon actually have a go at filling his shoes. I remember. Lando Norris and George bigging up Alex Albon a couple of years back. He was saying, you cannot discount Alex Albon. He was terrific against us in Formula 2. We were genuinely afraid of him. Mm. And he just got a bit of a bum deal at Red Bull. You know, he was in the same car as Max, and that kills everybody's <laughs> confidence, doesn't it? Poor mm. lad. Speaking of those two, actually, uh, I mean, I, I think it'd be great to see Lando Norris Oh, yeah. uh, have a go at, uh, at replacing him. He seems to be too settled in at McLaren, though. I don't get the sense he's going to be shifted from that seat all that easily. You know, all the Mercedes, they've got to be pretty 
highly motivated to replace him with somebody that can get somebody that they, you know, think is a potential championship winner who could be with them for a while, which, you know, and Lando Norris could absolutely fit that bill, I think. Mm. You know, maybe they would be prepared to dig deep and uh, try and get him. But, yeah, I think that seems pretty unlikely. Um, I think we'll know by Silverstone. I think probably not before then, but it will be decided what the reshuffle looks like by Silverstone. It could go a great number of ways. You know, the, the, there are those who, who argue that Vettel or Alonso might be a great person to put in that team. Yeah. You've got to remember, unless they have a world champion in the car alongside George, this will be the first time that Mercedes have raced forever, I think, without a world champion in one of their cars. That is, unless George wins it this year, which, again, isn't out of the realm of possibility. It's unlikely. Yeah, yeah, although I think they could probably drop being a world champion as one of their requirements for the job, you know, if they're otherwise happy, you know, you know, Mercedes will be very happy to, you know, to talk about that, maybe to shout about that, but yeah, they're not going to be too worried about that as a requirement for their drivers. Yeah, no, yeah, Alonso, Vettel, Bottas have all been talked about as potential replacements as well. I, I think they're all a little bit, you know, unless Mercedes was doing a thing of sticking a driver in just for a year or two as a placeholder, I don't think they'd go for any of those guys. Mm-hmm. They are a little bit... You don't want to replace one older driver with another older driver, I think. You want to put somebody younger in. And, you know, fantastic as Alonso is... Uh, actually, I don't know. It's funny, and it? It's really mm. hard, I say yeah. That, you know, of, 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 of those three, actually, you know, I... Yeah, Alonso wouldn't be a terrible, wouldn't be a terrible choice. Would he? Uh, I think science I is, is the key player here. It's what science wants. He will accept the best drive he's offered in Formula One. It might be a Williams drive, won't be a Haas drive. Could be the Audi drive in what used to be Sauber and is now called Kick Punch wallop insanity slate slack slacker what's what is it skate spake spot Uh, steak steak steak. cake steak awful sauber i'm gonna call him sauber call me old school visa paypal cryptocurrency (laughs) or something Uh, Um, yeah science is the key mover here what he decides what he's offered will trigger everything else that itself could be triggered by a poor start to the season by perez if Perez messes up, then uh, there's an opening at Red Bull for possibly Carlos Sainz, possibly Alex Albon. Who knows? Who knows? Whoever wants to go there, there will be a gap and the pressure will release and then there'll be uh, a shuffle of Sainz. Maybe Antonelli will get a reserve driver option. Maybe the Hulk will replace Max. I'm kidding. But there's going to be a shuffle. Yeah, and we didn't talk about either Perez or Ricardo as possible replacements for uh, for Hamilton. I, but yeah, I, I, I think yeah, they're, they're, I, neither of those. We we can clearly rule either of them yeah. out. I think much as I hate to put Ricardo out of the running for a plum seat, I think his time has yeah. has no past. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 
shame to say it, but yeah, he won't be in pole position for that seat. Yeah, we've got Liam Lawson putting pressure on to get in there soon as, you know. There's also yeah. going to be a slightly political change of uh, industry money and what have you when Honda leave Red Bull at the end of this engine rules cycle. And Honda, of course, are going to supply Aston Martin, something that I find insane, quite frankly, which means that you could get Yuki Tsunoda going to Aston Martin to replace Stroll or Alonso. There's an awful lot about to hop. It's impossible to predict at the moment. But let's just consider Ferrari for the moment. We talked about, you know, the void left by Lewis. Let's talk about how Lewis will do at Ferrari. Now, the way to go to Ferrari is to do it like Schumacher did. That's the proven model. Go there with the best designer and the best technical team and the best race people you can take with you to a team and insist that they go with you. Well, that would mean Adrian Newey. There's been a lot of discussion about Adrian Newey going to Ferrari, as I understand he isn't. But it is considered that his right-hand man might go to Ferrari. Talking about Pierre Washer, I think that's how you say his name. He's French. He's actually the technical director at Red Bull. What is Adrian Newey's title then? Technical God? Is that what it is? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Some related job title. I don't know. So Vasher, you know, designed that very successful Red Bull alongside Adrian Newey. He would be the best possible man to go to the newly reorganised Ferrari. And I'm, I'm very excited. I'm wearing, mm. I'm wearing red. I'm wearing a, a hat with a purple star on it in respect for Lewis. You know, I wanted to support Ferrari really hard for a very long time. You know, I am essentially Tifosi. We've had this conversation. The idea that one of my favourite drivers of all time is now going to be at Ferrari. My, my ultimate dream was one day I wanted Giancarlo Fisichella and Damon Hill at Ferrari. That would have been my perfect team, but it never happened. Mm. I've got Lewis and Leclerc at Ferrari now. You know, I admire Leclerc. I think he's a wonderful man. I think he's a terrific racer. I think he's quicker than a lot of people realise. And we're going to find out if he's quicker than Lewis now, aren't we? Yeah, it's a super strong line. Yeah. I mean, you know, the two of them will be are, you know, absolutely formidable, quite possibly the best combo next year. On that subject of, you know, what does it take to go to Ferrari and win? There's nothing special. There's nothing magical about, about you know, bringing particular people with you. Obviously, they need a strong, smart design team to design and build their car. Do they need new talent in the team to do that? I'm not sure. But, you know, having Lewis there can only help to focus minds on building the best car they can for two drivers who can definitely win a championship for them. So, uh, yeah, I think no, I'm going to be anticipating the... 25 season with eager, eager anticipation. Fred Vasseur, who is rebuilding Ferrari at the moment, does say that it's very difficult to persuade non-Italians to come and live and work in Italy, relocate there with their family, that the British-based teams have a, a great advantage. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And there is a slight techno-brain drain at Ferrari at the moment, because my Matteo Binotto 
came up through the engineering and design department and he in many ways was responsible for what was a very good car last year and he's gone now he's gone so mm. yeah i don't think this story is complete yet i think we're going to hear when more people go to ferrari who they're going to be and then we'll be able to say whether lewis will win or not next year hey looking forward to it already yeah oh yeah Laurent Mekis as the new chief at Visa Cash App RBF1. You must be very keen to make significant changes to make the team and the car more competitive. Oh, uh, yes, that's correct. Along with the new name for the team, we are starting a, a new era. The car bears a strong resemblance to the championship-winning Red Bull. Uh, yes, of course, it was clearly the best car. So there is a great deal to be learned from that platform. The V-Carb 01 takes its front pull rod and rear push rod suspension from Red Bull. The power steering, brake system, gearbox and exhaust are also from Red Bull Technologies. And of course, the power unit is from Red Bull Powertrains Honda. So how much of the car was actually designed by the Visa Cash App RB F1 team? Uh, the brake ducts. Is that it? No, 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 not at all. There are many elements on the car that we designed ourselves, such as... Well, you know the foam padding around the cockpit? Yes. Well, we designed the clips that hold it in place. Joining us now to talk about some interesting and average road cars, ladies and gentlemen, Alex Guy. Hi. How are you, my dude? You alright? I'm good. I've been away for most of January, so hence my absence. Uh, otherwise, I'd usually be here bright and bouncy and shiny, but I've been, I've been busy, soz. <laughs> some work, some play. Well done. Good Working in well. January, it's an academic achievement. Most people don't manage it if they're freelancers, do they? Ooh, it's, it was a quiet one, but February is also quiet. But it doesn't matter because I've been doing fun things. So it's all good in the hood. And you did do something rather good outside of your hood. Did you go to Germany and drive an interesting Porsche? Or where, where did no. that happen? No, I didn't go to Germany. I went to DK Engineering in somewhere north of the M25, somewhere off the M25. Uh, DK Engineering, if you don't know them, been around uh, forever. It specialises in basically Ferrari F40s and high-value Ferraris, but it's kind of diversified and it does everything. If it's a very expensive car, they will sell it to you, they'll look after it for you, they'll manage it all for you. Uh, it's it's a very, it's a very, very, very cool place. Um and I was invited by them to have a go in a Porsche 356, but not any Porsche 356. It's one of the Gmund cars, which Zog, 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 you yes, e I was, explain to uh, ladies and gentlemen what a Gmund car is. Well, it's just, you know, it's not just any run of the mill ordinary common or garden 356. It's one of the first production run of Porsche 356 in the very early days of the company in the um, post-war ruins of Germany were just getting going. Was ist Gmund? Gmund is a is a place in Austria. So basically, the, I, 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 when you read when you read the kind of the 
the Porsche history books like well in 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 the late 40s Porsche needed to not be in Germany for a while so <laughs> it went to Austria <laughs> really <laughs> to, um, and it repurposed a sawmill in the town of Gumman teeny tiny town I've never been um would love to go um, apparently now sort of Porsche basically owns the town but it was where Ferry Porsche came up with his I couldn't find a sports car I wanted to drive so I built one so it's there in the sawmill that he came up with 356-1 of which there is only one that's the mid-engined car that's sort of lots of beetle bits but it's got that very recognizable Porsche body and it's got those initial hallmarks and then after 356-1 appeared they uh, came up with 356-2 of which they built 52 there were 52 road cars and there are a few more chassis for racing so i think it was early 60s is the number of chassis they built mostly uh well all hand built obviously because it was the 40s and 50s um and it was a sawmill in austria but some uh, some of the bodies were outsourced to different bits of germany different businesses um, but final assembly was a gemund job Apart from at the very end, towards the end of its run, when Porsche moved back to Germany to Stuttgart and all that, they were built up there. They were completed up there. But the original 52 road cars, they were all aluminium bodied, which is sort of a very special thing. Since it's light. The later 356s were steel bodied. Uh, they had a dinky little flat four at the back. And that was kind of it. I mean, uh-huh. you, you open the bonnet and underneath there, there's, you know, a spare tyre and, and that's it. And then there's a little space behind the driver's seat, the, the front bench for luggage. And th- that's honestly it. It looks like a Porsche. The, the weird thing is, like, if you look at cars from the 40s and the 50s, you expect this sort of grandiose thing or a quite ornate, very Britishy thing. But it looks like a Porsche. Like, you can see uh-huh. the lineage right from there wow. all the way along. So you can park a 356, be it Gamunda or otherwise, next to a 992.1 GT3 RS, and they're the same. It's kind of remarkable, isn't it? Except that the original one is about a third of the size and a third yes, of the mass. Yes, it is minuscule. The, the, the fascinating thing I found about it was, you know, I, I always get it when you get into classics, is there's so much glass everywhere. <laughs> and even though it is, you know, the size of my shoe... It felt quite roomy. I mean, I'm not the tallest man mm. in the world, as you as you guys well know. I'm I'm a, I'm a shortish chap, but there was loads of space in there for me. There were no seat belts or anything like that. Four mm-hmm. four on the floor. You got a double declutch all your way up and down, which was interesting. So I'm not used to doing that. No side impact protection in the door. No shoulder width rules to prevent you from injury, which exists. Which is why these cars are so were so much roomier and, and lighter and weaker. You know, they would crumple, wouldn't they? But hey. Yeah, the crumple zone was me. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad I didn't crash it. The thing was, the, the chances of an accident were quite low because it's not very powerful. <laughs> 70 so brake horsepower? Yes. Yeah. No, 40. No, really? 40 in period. So the, the, the car is for sale at DK. It's for something like three and a half million US. And what they'd done is they, they'd given it a service and a little bit of TLC. But the motor puts out 40 horsepower, but I do think between 1950, because this is, this is um, 356-2-0032, it's the 32nd car, and it's on Wikipedia, like, it's really weird, when I was doing some research on it, I was like, oh, 32, restored or looked after and is here, it's like, someone's keeping tabs on all these things, wow. but yes, between 1950 and 2024, some of the horses are having an extended rest, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Although people sometimes don't appreciate how much less powerful early, older, 
sports cars are yeah. than modern versions, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah, all, yeah. all kinds of reasons, much less powerful than contemporary. Yeah, games. the thing about the power is that the, the way the gearbox is, is first gear is basically you you engage first and then you put your foot down and you, you end up, you do like five miles an hour and it goes, right, time to change because this is there's no rev counter, it just screams at you and it plateaus. So when everything starts sounding the same, then you change, this is the mm-hmm. advice I was given. And then second, you go from five to about 10, maybe 12, and then you have to change and you double to clutch up. And then third, the difference in the ratio is so great, it dips dramatically, but then you can putt around at about... 20 25 30 at a push and it's okay it'll mm-hmm. do it'll mm-hmm. do all the things fourth is like if you need to do a bit of national speed limit but i really wouldn't because uh, other cars are big and fast and scary and safe yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was interesting the thing that got me about it though is anytime we approached a small incline like something that you know you wouldn't have any problem walking up if you were in third and you didn't have enough for run up it would just slightly start to putter and go bop, 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 bop. <laughs> right, like a Morris Thousand or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was when I was halfway up a hill and it was starting to go, starting to go, starting to go. And I was like, I can nearly see the top. We can make this. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. We can do Come this. On, little and car, then a cyclist undertook me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope he was riding a Porsche design bicycle. He was not. It was a specialised. You made that cyclist day, though, didn't you? You, you know, he got, he got to overtake a Porsche. Yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Was, being driven at full beams. Do you know this? car this particular model of porsche are you aware of its history and significance in the uh, porsche lineage i'm I'm not i don't know how much you know about it because this is 356 slash 2 this was basically the genesis of production porsches so the porsche 356 was like the car that started the company but these very early cars because they were hand built it was basically when porsche was Remember Xenos? It was kind of like a Xenos. We'll make them all by hand and there's no mass production. There's no money to it. Porsche was making its money by sort of other means to try and sell these cars to create a business for itself. And yeah, these first vehicles, people bought them. They loved them because they were unlike anything else. They looked weird and they went well. The drive is still great. The steering is a bit of a dead spot, but it's as old as my mother. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fair. You know, I did the math and worked out that the car I drove is two months younger than my mum. (laughs) (laughs) and probably has more dead spots than your mother i (laughs) yes yes but yeah the reason 356 itself is so special is because were it not for that vehicle and a lot of people trying it believing in the brand and then you know importing them elsewhere becoming importers so for the states and for other uh, bits of europe so the car that i had was from a nordic importer because they had a great relationship with Scania, I can't quite remember, and they had a great relationship with them, so it was like a, this is our car and we're going to do stuff with it and whatever. But yeah, were it not for that car, I mean, 356-1, of which there is only one, is proper Genesis, but Dash 2, those 52 road cars, are so important for Porsche. It was a proper bit of history. I was very glad it wasn't raining, it was a little bit windy, so when I had a headwind, genuinely it struggled. The controls, you know, when I was handed it, they said, look, it's a car. Treat it like a car, just double to clutch, and you need to give a bit of distance for the brakes. But that's fine. And I had a lead car to follow. They set a nice little route up. So, you know, you'd see a bit of town, a bit of countryside, some nice wibbly-wobbly bits. The fun thing about the steering 
It's all coming back to me now. Something oh, about the steering. You're in when the moment you there. In, when you turned in, it's quite vague. So you turn in, you go, right, I think it should be turning right now. And then what it would do is because the suspension's quite soft and roads go all undulating, it would turn in, you'd start turning, and then something would happen. You wouldn't know what. And the car would go, I'm either going to give you less lock and I'm going to understeer for some reason, or I'm going to really dig in and bite. So you'd be going around a sweeping little corner and go, oh, no, 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 oh, no. I'm I'm over there now. I don't want to be over there. Somewhat unpredictable handling then. Balance. A little unpredictable, but it was it was a truly truly special thing. I'm a very lucky boy. Mm. There's a feature in the there's, there's an article in the current issue of Magneto magazine. If you'd like to read more, well, we'd very much like to read it. But you're driving a vehicle which probably weighs I don't know 700 kilos. Oh, if that, if that, and if it's got that. a very little lightweight motor in the middle of the car, no, in the rear. So it's proper rear. Oh, it so is three, rear. Five, it's not mid engine. I, you, so I three five six slash one yeah. was mid engine. Oh, three, I understand. Three five six slash two. Okay. is the rear engine which is why one is sort of is the beginning of Porsche because it still looks like a Porsche right. but two the yep. two cars the Gamund cars that people could actually buy those are proper Porsche Genesis engine at the back bug-eyed lamps looks very classic looks very Porsche has the grille over the rear like it was a proper bit of history driven there it was very very cool very, very odd. And it's yours if you want to buy it. It's at DK Engineering right now for three and a half million dollars. Zog, you'll take two, I guess. I, absolutely. Yeah, I'll take the one that Alex drove. And if they've got another one in uh, in purple, let's say I'll, I'll, I'll have one in nice purple. Nice choice. Yeah. Is this your favourite period of Porsche, Zog? What is your favourite period uh, of I'm Porsche? Not, uh, I think the 70s really is probably a f- favourite period. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, no, but 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 those, uh, those early 356s are wonderful. I mean, apart from the fact that they're the start of that story and the start of the racing legend. They're just terrific little sports cars and terrific little cars, period. Now, actually, do you know how many of those 3562s are actually still around? Um, Most of them, not all of them. If you just let me do a quick bit of Wikipedia film... um, Because that list is the most accurate one uh, I could find. Uh, Hang on. We're intrigued to find out. Out of the 52, here, I'm on the list now. So, 3562002, scrapped. One's in a Gamund Museum. 21, scrapped, but the engine is reused in 22, which is now in a prototype museum. 24 is scrapped. 28 is scrapped. 30 is scrapped. According to Wikipedia, 32 exists. Yes, it does. They've driven it. And it was a Scania-built car, or scania um Built or f- first customer was Scania, and then forties in an original condition. A lot of them exist. A few um, then is the answer. Maybe a, a dozen. A, a few. A, a few a have few, gone, yeah. but because of what they are and because they're so valuable, even when three five sixes were sort of everywhere, these Gamund cars were very special vehicles. Fascinating. But yeah, yeah. So they they weren't getting scrapped no. or uh, uh, lost one way or another. Uh, and if you find, you know, an absolutely terrible. Barn find would still would still be easily worth oh uh, millions and squillions yeah, and restoring that so these yeah yeah and all the um, rest. I mean it's interesting the, the, the three five six is one of those things that I think I'm actually perfectly okay with kit car versions of kit cars and replicas it isn't such a big thing these days but I'm okay with a you know with a, a, a good three five six kit car I think is perfectly okay and you do get some I mean you, well you get some you know that are really well done. 
And of course, the you know the the electrification era then opened up the possibilities for electric versions. I have driven an electrified three five six, and it was really yeah. Good. I was just thinking about it. It was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. It was it was yeah. it was a really good thing. But they made loads of three five sixes. I mean, comparatively loads. I mean, it's not as many, say, as a 911, of which there are over a million now, and there'll probably be like two million in 10 years. But, you know, there's there's still enough of them that if you have one, you're not completely rinsing history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's play Compare and Contrast, this sublime, exquisite artefact that is also a car, with a really, I'm going to say, Average here, and I don't mean that as an insult, with a really ordinary, cheap, good value, modern car, which I know you've been driving as well. This is the latest iteration. Is it the Mark III Dacia Duster? No. So I've spent the last week rolling around in a Dacia Duster, and there is a bit of a story behind this. So when I met my partner, uh, she found out what I did for a job, and she went, oh, what's your favourite cars? And I rifled off a few, and I said, oh, also the Dacia Duster. And she went, what the hell is one of those? And hmm. uh, <laughs> I explained it. It's basically, it's a box of wheels, mm-hmm. and it's really cheap, mm-hmm. and they look really cool. Mm-hmm. You, they can get all-wheel drive ones, and they go over, and they're big, and all the bits are plastic, so if you break something, it's easy to fix. It doesn't matter if it breaks, because it's cheap. And she went, this is ridiculous. And then the joke sort of grew into some professional-grade trolling, and she's now set up an Instagram account called Dustagram, purely to take the piss out of me. So every day she finds, she's found a new duster to post every day. There are some doubles because she had the typical problem of banking up some pictures around where she lived and then she exhausted the supply of dusters around where she lived. She exhausted the supply of dusters around where I lived. And so now everywhere we go, she is on proper high duster alert. But she's got reader submissions from Poland, from uh, hmm. bits of Ukraine, from bits of the UK. She had someone send one from Morocco the other day. Some friends of hers are on holiday. Friends of mine are on holiday as well. And go, oh, here it is. Anyway, I put it on Twitter saying, this has happened. Isn't it funny? By the way, if you lot follow it, she'll have to do more. And then I will laugh heartily. And not only did a few people follow it, it's like 160, 170 followers now. So we're not talking like Mr. Beast numbers, but still enough that she now has a community. That's great. Hmm. Not only that, Dacia UK has followed it. Their PR man in the UK has followed it. And I found out on the way to France with said PR man, lovely Charlie, that Dacia's global design director follows it. Ah, (laughs) Hey, listen, I'm going to follow it because I absolutely love the Dacia Duster. I had one Mm. a couple of years ago and spent a week in it, went up to North Wales, marvelled at how many other Dacia Dusters I Mm -hmm. saw in Hollywell, my hometown in North Wales. They were everywhere. I know it was heightened awareness. I'm driving one so you notice one, of course. But you talk about exhausting the number of... That probably took a little while. There were probably half a dozen in your neighbourhood, right? Everybody's got them. Well, we went to the mountains. The Dusters swiftly replaced the Fiat Panda before as the car of choice. But anyway, so um, I, I, you know, because because of the cause of muchularity, and she's never been in one, I asked Dacia very nicely if there was a week where there was one doing very little on the fleet, if I could borrow it. And they said yes. So the deal with Dustagram is that I have nothing to do with it. I will make... My partner's life difficult 
by encouraging people to follow it. <laughs> but that's it. I won't send pictures. I won't submit pictures or anything like that. So we got this duster in. And because she, she's never been in it, I was like, right, I'm driving to yours, not taking the tube. Right, OK, I've got this duster. Oh, brilliant duster. And then Saturday morning, bright and early, we went off to the countryside and she just started attacking it with her phone. And we made some duster friends. Like people were like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's a Dacia. What? That's a Dacia? They're amazing. So we drove through the countryside, through town, round the M25 to go for lunch with some friends and like actually used it as a sensible car. Yep. And she loved it because it's brilliant. It's one of the best things ever. It's an unpretentious box on wheels. Yeah. And there's a new one coming out soon and I can't wait. Okay, so you're on a facelifted Mark II then. Yeah, Is that so what it the, was? The Mark III or the, the new one mm. at least. I, don't, I think it's the Mark, the second generation that we've had. I think there were ones before. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. My, my duster history I think is you're right. Brilliant. I think you are right. But yeah, the, the newest one's coming out. It looks absolutely mech to the point where I was getting text messages from like supercar journo friends going like, this is good. This is, yeah, I really like great. this. It looks great. And do you know what I love about the Dacia Duster? It is the car that looks best on steel wheels in white yeah. body of any yeah. car ever. Steelies. I want to be a farmer. I want to be a construction worker. I want to drive that car. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it was just mega. I, I rarely dipped below 40 mpg. I didn't get through a tank of fuel in a week. <laughs> it was just the best. So you're saying I should be desiring a duster more than I should be desiring that three five six. Oh, is, is that what Make the case for the very simple reason, Zog. And it's not. It's not. Oh, it's practical. You can fit so much more stuff in it. Oh, it doesn't matter if you break yeah. it. No, it's that if there's a small hill, you'll be able to go up. <laughs> that okay, is now, it. Now you, 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 you make a strong case there. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Um, like just. Just a, a small hill. There's a little one near me that's, you know, it's fine to walk up, but that 356 has struggled with it. Duster, smash it, mate. Absolutely smash it. <laughs> yeah, Star and Garter Hill down in Richmond, no chance. No, not a chance. Box not Hill, never. Those no. two cars have something in common. They're both what I would describe as minimum automobiles, but in very different ways. Yes. That mm. Porsche yeah. is... A minimum automobile. You said there's very little else going on there. Engine, body, seats, that's it, right? There is one dial, a turnometer, which you twist for the indicator. There's uh, yeah. some buttons that I didn't quite figure out how to do. A sort of pistol grip, handbrake under the dash. And that's about it. Yeah. Like, there's there's mm. nothing to it. But of the time, the tech wasn't really there mm, to do much exist. else. However, with Dacia, they're almost denying a lot of tech. They will give you a poverty spec car that's beautifully minimalist. Wind down windows. I bet the base model duster has wind down windows. Mm, I, I didn't. The, 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 the one I had was was fairly basic spec. It had a few a few toys on it, but it wasn't like all bells and whistles. The thing with Dacia at the moment, and to, to give the PR answer, because I, you know, I said to said to young Charlie, oh, cheap cars. No, no, it's a value proposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives you all the stuff you need and none of the stuff you don't. Yeah. So it's it's one of the reasons why they're not brilliant at NCAP is because they, they don't have X Y Z things that give it an automatic nine thousand stars. Instead, you know, it's just it's just a car. It's just a car that does stuff. It's simple. It's easy. It has Bluetooth and CarPlay, so you can have maps and your own noise. The stereo isn't by Bose, but it isn't crap. You know, you can still hear stuff when you're doing 70 miles an hour around the M25. It will do more than 70 miles an hour, but not lots more because you don't need that. It yep. sips petrol. Yeah, and you need that. 
and you need that. And if you go up a curb, it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it's really high off the mm-hmm. ground. And mm-hmm. you can get a jogger, which is low, which is basically in the States, so that's seven seats. But a duster, it's, it's just a cube with an engine and it's great. Uh, and I, my friends struggle to get why I like them so much. Like, it's just an unpretentious box. It's brilliant. It's the super noodles of cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and if you're not into, you know, cars, high performance yeah. or particular niches or whatever, yeah, that's that's what you what you want a, a a sensible box that works well. I absolutely love it. It's a trusty pair of boots. It's a jacket that you you bought for a fiver in a sale, and that you just it's your go to. It doesn't matter if anything happens to it because it's a thing. Like, it's just mega. And it stays cheap because, A, they build it in Romania yep. and other places in Turkey as well, I believe. And, B, it's built on the previous generation Renault platform. Yeah, it's not clear. Yeah, yeah. Which is... It's not, it's not clear one still, yeah. which is just... It, it's like Polsky, Fiat and Lada. You know, they were built mm. on last generation Fiat platforms back in the day and that mm. made them valuable. I haven't read up too much about the new, new one because I'm sort of waiting for it as a surprise, frankly. Mm-hmm. I know it looks amazing, but in this, you know, it's an old Renault platform with an old Renault engine. There's bits that work that they've been building forever, and it's just ace. We've got to wrap it up, but before we do that, can we talk about another interesting Dacia that I know that you've been sniffing mm-hmm. around that isn't the Duster? Yes. I went to Paris in the middle of January to have a look at, well, sort of a look at, to meet the designers of and spend some time in VR with the Dacia Sandrider. Oh. The Dakar car. This is very exciting. When I was there, it was still in build. So the, the show car that's, that's been out and about was being built. But they have a VR setup that you get in it. It's the right height. You put a steering wheel on it and you can look around the interior. And they've had the drivers. They've had Gutierrez. They've had Loeb. I don't think Nasser Alati has been in it yet because he was a fairly late addition to the team. It was designed sort of alongside the manifesto concept, the future thing. And the interesting point was I spoke to their lead designer I was like, hey, what's the what's the deal? Like, why isn't it a big duster? And he was like, no one would believe it's a duster if it's two and a half metres wide. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Under the skin, it's a ProDrive Hunter. Oh, I um, didn't know that. The, oh, my gosh, yeah. it's got a Ford engine. It's a Nissan engine in this one. So okay. it's, been, it's been boosted to T1 plus ultimate spec. So it's like the most biggestest. Yeah, that top class good. in Dakar. They want to go for the win, especially with that driver lineup. Like... There's a few trophies between them. So, yeah, it's you know, a few hundred horses, 360 horsepower, 397 pound foot, three litre twin turbo V6. And it looks like an angular buggy. Uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it's more like the Audi e-tron like the, Dakar it, Well, thing. the e-tron is, 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 is smoother. There, there's some fascinating bits about this that now you know about them, you won't quite be able to look at it in the same way. So on each side, there's a tyre. It looks like it's sort of embedded in the body. And part of that is because they spoke to the drivers and said, what do you need? And they went, well, we need practicality. Mm-hmm. So when we blow a tyre, we need to be able to get to it quickly. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't involve unscrewing a bit of carbon fibre. And you get fined if you leave any bits of car in the desert mm-hmm. because it's basically high-profile littering. So they've got this amazing, mm-hmm. they've got a proper strap system in it, but it's embedded in the car. Not having a panel on there means it's light. And then also there's less faff. But even smarter, somewhere on the car, as yet TBC, when you're unscrewing bits, obviously you're going to have bolts and stuff. 
and if you drop them in the desert, it's gone forever. So they're putting a magnetic panel on each side of the car. So once you've unscrewed your bolt, you just bang it on the car. So it's there. I can see that coming with other complexities. Yeah. That are <laughs> um, they've managed to bake. They've got this patented material in the carbon fibre, which is better for heat regulation, so it doesn't have to be white. So it, it lowers the temperature by 35 degrees, so they say. Mm. The seats are covered in this pet material that's bacterially friendly, easy to clean, not difficult to cover in filth. And the last final cool detail is you need sandboards in the desert and you can stack them up and they can all look a bit awkward and ungainly or whatever. But what they've done is they've built two into the rear deck of the car. So you unscrew a thing and they slide out. And nice. there's room in its boot which folds down to act as a table clever for another four depending on how many each driver wants oh or a one more thing the interior so that the dash cluster thanks to inspiration from a Dita ram stereo off of the 70s is modular so each nice. driver can have their own layout so if someone wants a vent there and their maps there and the speedo there they can have it and if someone wants it completely the other way around they can have it that way, thanks to Dieter Ramp. Smart. Let's hope that they're mounted solidly, because those cars take a hell of a dusting, yeah. don't they, in the desert? I didn't mean <laughs> that. I genuinely didn't. And listen, I love Dakar. I can't wait to see this car perform at Dakar next year with Alataya at the wheel, because he's mm-hmm. a monster. I had no idea that it was on the BRX Hunter platform from ProDrive. Yeah, and of course, it's, it's got it's a it's Nissan Pro-Drive. engine. Do you know why? Do you know why? Yeah, I know because of the Renault-Nissan Alliance, but did you know that the Dacia Duster is sold as a Nissan Duster and the Renault Duster in different parts of the world. There you go. I brought it all back home for us, which means that we can all go home. And I'm going to send pictures of Nissan Dusters to that Instagram account. Yeah, it's it's Duster underscore Graham. Basically, the more of you that follow it, the more difficult my other half's life becomes, and that amuses me greatly because she did it to take the piss out of me. So let's all help it hilariously back (laughs) until she becomes an influencer of Dusters and Dusters only. (laughs) <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> You've been listening to Alex Goy. Say farewell. Bye. And Zog. Goodbye. And I was Gareth. And see you for some more on speeding soon. I love Dutchers. I do. I genuinely do. All of them. <laughs> if you enjoyed the show, then please like and subscribe. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, read some lyrics, follow us on social media, or to sponsor the podcast, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wiesbank. Gareth Jones sulla velocità è una produzione nel salotto.